Good morning. Good morning to each of you. Uh, I would just like to say uh, that um, beginning about six months ago, I know you have been praying for me, and I, I think I feel better this morning than I have in six months, and I'm very thankful for your prayers. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, and whom thy well-beloved Son, we have forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. O oh, our Father, we truly are a blessed people, and we confess that we have not always given our best to thee. But as we just sang, O oh, to Christ be the glory as we live out our lives here in 2023. And now may your word go forth in the anointing of your blessed Holy Spirit as we pray these mercies through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Apostle Peter, in the first chapter of his second epistle, in verses 14 and 15, he spoke concerning his near decease. He knew it when it would occur after the writing of this epistle, we don't know, but his last words were, is going to be the text for our message this morning, when he said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be and glory be to the Lord forever and ever. <clears throat> Therefore, I thought it profitable <clears throat> to look at some of the last words expressed by God's servants in years gone by. William Beveridge, 1637 to 1708. As he lay in his deathbed, he was asked, do you know Jesus? Oh, yes, he says, I've known him for these 40 years. And then his <clears throat> final word, precious Savior, he's my only hope. And then Howard Crosby, 1826 to 1891, he was a gospel writer who often uh, occupied the pulpit at Fourth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. And as life was departing from him, he was heard to say, my heart is resting sweetly with Jesus, and my hand is in his. Jonathan Edwards, Jr., son of the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards, Sr., his death came soon after his inauguration as president <clears throat> at Union College. And it's interesting to what he said, trust in God, and you have nothing to fear. And then Martin Luther, Morning Star of the Reformation, as he was breathing his last, he quoted two Bible verses. Now, you've heard this, but I love to quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in Psalm 68.10, he said, our God is the God of our salvation, and God is the Lord by whom we escape death. And then Dwight L. Moody, 1837 to 1899, his last words, he says, I see the earth receding, heaven is opening, and God is calling me. John Owens, 1616 to 1683, the great Puritan writer, his last words, he says, I'm going to him, I'm going to him whom my soul loveth, or rather, he says, he has loved me with an everlasting love, which is the sole ground of my consolation. And then John Wesley's last moments, he said, the best of all is with us. His last word, farewell. And then Corey Ten Boom, the hiding place. Her last words as Billy Graham was visiting her, she said, the best is yet to be. What wonderful evidence of spiritual life is taken is from these saints of old. And as mentioned, the title of our message is taken from 2 Peter 3.18. <clears throat> and it was the apostle Peter who, in 1.20.21, says, uh, the scriptures are of no private interpretation. But men of old spoke not according to their own will, 
but they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as we think of that, these words will take on added importance when we look at the background for this epistle. In his first epistle, he addressed those who were suffering persecution and were scattered about in the five areas of Asia Minor, now known as Turkey. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But now in the second epistle, his greeting is very specific. It was to those who obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he gives this in verse 10. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And then he says, for if you do these things, what things? Well, to faith add virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness brotherly love. He said, if you do these things, you shall never fail. In chapter 2, he speaks about three judgments of God which had little or no effect upon many of the people in his day. False prophets were invading the church and promising a licentious lifestyle, which is nothing more than unbridled sensuality without restraint. Do we not see that same thing today? Sensual, sensual. Unbridled without restraint. Then, chapter 3, he describes the scoffers who denied the judgment of the flood. They denied that the Lord Jesus had come or would come. <clears throat> and then he describes the last judgment, the day of the Lord, in verses 10 and 11. And I would like to read those verses for you because it'll it just sets us. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or manner of life and godliness? Well, let me ask you. As we read those words, which leads us to this question, what should characterize our lives? The title of our message, The Evidence of Spiritual Life. I would like to begin by speaking about, well, let me read the text first and then I'll I'll come in. Reading verse 15 of chapter 3. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is the text that we want to speak on this morning. The first thing we want to talk about is the evidence of life to grow. It's to increase. It's to develop. What is the evidence of a newborn baby that has life? It cries. And certainly Esther and Naveen and Tom and Bessie are quite familiar with the baby crying, with evidence that they have life. The baby hungers for milk and the baby food, and as the baby is fed, it grows. And Tom and Bessie's little baby boy is growing like a weed. It's amazing how that little boy is growing. Well, there is a desire for the pure milk of the word to be under its authority. As it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the work that they may grow thereby, that's the evidence. There's a, de- there's a desire to be under the authority of the word. There's a desire for the pure milk of the word. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a great desire for fellowship with other believers. 
Worship on the Lord days becomes top priority. There's a desire to share with others what God has done in saving us always ready to give a personal testimony. And I know that Pastor Bob was anxious to give his testimony when the Lord saved him. And the same was true with me. I couldn't wait to tell people what the Lord had done for me. They called me. They said I had a seance or whatever they said. No, I met the Lord because he gave me life. And for the first time in my life, I knew what it was like to be loved. What do you expect to see in the realm of nature? Take, for instance, an apple tree. What do you expect to see? Apples. What do you expect to see in a pear tree? Pears. All right. What is a fruit you expect to see from one who has spiritual life? The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, temperance, faith, meekness, and temperance. Now, we're not going to see that in full bloom right away, but there ought to be some evidence of, those, of that fruit if the Lord Jesus, his spirit dwells in us. Why is there not more evidence of spiritual life in the churches of our day? Because there are many head conversions, but not heart conversions which is the evidence of one who is born again. The words of the Lord Jesus in John 3, 3, 8. Nicodemus had come to see him by night, and he said, We know your teacher come from God, for no one can do those things that you do except God be with him. Jesus ignored that and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, what? How can a man be born when he's old? Shall the end of the second time to his mother's woman be born? Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the spirit, of man expect born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said, Marvel not that I say these things unto you. The wind bloweth as it listeth. You to hear the sound of thereof, but you don't know where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Can we explain now how the Spirit works? No. But he works. And the evidence is there's his life after he's done working. You see, much evangelism today claims the new birth takes place <clears throat> when we accept Christ as Savior but the Bible is very plain. It's not something the sinner does, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. If a decision for Christ is made without the new birth, then it's just a head conversion and not a heart conversion. The Spirit of Christ must quicken and dwell in the heart of the one the Lord saves. And then, only then, will there be evidence of spiritual life and the ability to grow in grace, which is our next point. Grow in grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. There are three great expressions of grace in the Bible. Second Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And then there is the grace of 2.11, Titus 2.11. But the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny godliness ungodliness and worldliness, but that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present time. And then one more, and it's my favorite. You hear me pray many times. The God of all grace who has called us to glory through Jesus Christ the Lord. Grace is the absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God to all mankind. Matthew 5, 45, 
The Lord causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust, and he causes the sun to shine upon the evil and the good. And Acts 1725, he gives life and breath to everyone each day. All temporal benefits. And to those God saves in particular, all spiritual benefits. The grace of God and salvation is a grace that enables growth and grace. Listen to the words of Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For ye are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Unearned, unmerited. And then John 1, 14, 7. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we know, and, and one more thing, it shows that it's a gift from God, and in all his epistles he says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the life that now is, it is the divine influence upon the heart of whom God saves that reflects this influence. Jude, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus in his humanity, spoke in his epistle how some in his church were turning the grace of God into unbridled sensuality. The apostle Paul addressed this in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He said, what shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how we who are dead to sin continue to live in it. The culture of our day has an awful effect upon young people. Yes, young people in the church, in every church. And the statistics you heard me say before, that young people who claim to be Christians say that it's okay to have sex before marriage and to live together before marriage. Well, let me say this. Galatians 6, 7 is still in the Bible. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, that whatsoever we sow, we shall also reap. And the sex-crazed society, what they do, it, it, it goes people to give in to the sex-crazed society, and they forfeit a happy marriage. Yes, Hebrews 13.4 is still in the book. Marriage is honorable, the marriage bed undefiled, but woe be to the fornicator and the adulterer. Christian youth, dear young men and women, should follow the example of Joseph. When he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife in her birthday suit, and she said, lie with me, they were alone in the house, what does he say? How can I do this wickedness and sin against God in a railway? Oh, if young people would do the same thing today. To all Christians, young and old, instead of letting this culture influence you and tramping upon the grace of God, let the loving kindness, yes, the loving kindness and spiritual benefit that God grants to his people enable you to be a channel of his loving kindness to others that they may see the grace of God in you and through you. Now some examples of growing grace. To grant a favor or give of oneself to others through ministry without expecting anything in return, that's growing in grace. We don't expect anything in return. Secondly, to grow in grace is to grow in gratitude for all that God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ and is doing every day, saved by grace. Ephesians 2.10, justified by grace through the redemption is in Christ Jesus and living under grace, Romans 6.14. All that we do is by grace. For the apostle Paul said, I am not fit to be called apostle because I persecuted the church. But nevertheless, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace that was bestowed upon me enabled me to do more abundantly all the rest. But then he said this, but it is by the grace of God through me that I do it. The way we talk to one another, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone who asks you. 
And then Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh, yes, speaketh like the piercing of a sword. But the health, tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 16, 24. I love this. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And then Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Uh, just one thing more. It's amazing how professing Christians can use words that cut like a sword. That's amazing. Second Corinthians 8, 7 says, We are to abound in the grace of giving, for God loves a cheerful giver, as it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It was this grace of giving that was lacking in the church of Corinth and in many professing Christians today. And dear ones, the older I get, the more I enjoy giving because God has given me so much. He's given me everything. He's given each one of us everything because he's given us heaven. Heaven is everything. It's glory. Always. Every. In 2 Timothy 2.1, the Apostle Paul told Timothy to be strong with the grace that's in Christ. You know what that requires? It requires what our Lord said in Matthew 11.29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And dear ones, the more we do that, the more we're going to grow, grow, grow in grace. We grow in grace when we develop the gifts the Lord has given to us. In Ephesians 4, 7, every believer has received them. The testimony of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, 7, 8 says this who was made a minister of the gospel according to the gift of the grace of God given unto him by the effectual working of his power. Now, I could take time to list some, and just look at uh, Romans chapter 16, and look at how Paul commands all those that were a part of helping in the kingdom of God. Whatever you do to help in the kingdom of God is a gift. Use it. Second Corinthians 1.12. By the grace of God, we've had our manner of life in the world and more abundantly to you, word. In other words, we are, to, we are to grow in the conducting of ourselves to one another so that the grace of God might shine in us more and more. I want you to think about something. How often here in our little fellowship have we seen the grace of God shine through as we get acquainted with one another? The more people see the grace of God in us, the more their heart is going to be touched. They're going to become more like that person. That's what we're doing. We're to emulate, we're to reflect Jesus Christ, the God of all grace. To grow in grace is to continue. The Apostle Paul preached a long sermon in his first missionary journey at Antioch of Pisidia, and then he responded to this sermon. The apostle told them to continue in the grace of God, or as Barnabas told the believers at Antioch in Syria, where they were first called Christians, he said, with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord. And when you cleave to the Lord, you don't let anything come between you and your Savior. Cleave, cleave to the Lord, and no one will get a chance to get anything, an enemy to come in between. To grow in grace is to have greater joy in worship. Let me repeat that. To grow in grace is to have greater joy in worship. Expressed so well in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with grace in your hearts to the Lord, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. 
And one of the main reasons believers do not grow in grace, do you know why they don't grow in grace? They don't spend enough time at the throne of grace. Oh, my. Because we're too busy, too indifferent, too proud. It's a humble spirit that sees its need to pray. And to the humble spirit, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, he gives grace to the humble. And James 4, 6 says, the Lord Jesus Christ, give, I'm sorry. To the humble, God giveth more grace. Let me repeat that. To the humble, God giveth more grace, which enables us to grow in grace. Now, we're ready to grow in knowledge. Grace, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word to know, to grow in, let me, let me just share a little bit with you about this. First of all, there's three expressions of the word knowledge. The one Greek word is epigenosko. That is to recognize, like the men of Genesaret, <coughs> they had knowledge of Christ, and when they saw him coming, because they had knowledge him, they got all the sick people and brought him to for him to be heal them. Then there, the next uh, Greek word is genosko. That means to be acquainted with. And in Acts 19.15, an evil spirit is speaking. There were some Jewish sorceress that were using uh, uh, Paul's name and the Lord's name to cast out demons. He says, the, the, the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know who these are, meaning the Jewish extortionists. And then the one for today, uh, uh, Gnosis, grow in the knowledge. Gnosis is to grow in an experiential way as a son knoweth the father and as a wife knows her husband, as a husband knows his wife. So in like matter, God wants us to know him. God did not create man for him to be a stranger to God, but that they might know him in an experiential way. For why else did God create man in his own image and after his likeness? Though sin caused separation, God never ceased seeking to the sinner. Look at Hosea 6.6, 6, God speaking. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. What was God saying? I want you to know me. I want you to discern me. I want you to know who I am. And Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says this. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him that glorieth glory in this. That he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who executeth righteousness, judgment, and loving kindness upon the earth. In these things I delight, saith the Lord. And the uh, little verse that I had on that card, my daisy, at her memorial service. John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. J.I. Packer, who, know the, who knew the Bible in an experiential way, asked this question. What is the best thing in life to bring joy and contentment more than anything else? He answered his question with these words. The knowledge of God. That can be proven by the illustration of Enoch who walked with God for 300 years. In Genesis 5, 21 to 24, when did he begin to walk with God? After his son, who was the old, Methuselah. After he was born, somehow the birth of his son grabbed him so much that he wanted to know the God who showed him such grace. And to walk with God only a few people in the scripture says that Noah walked with God. Yes, Enoch walked with God, a few others. But to walk with God is to have fellowship with him, to commune as friend to friend. It's to understand that he 
who giveth life and breath each day, who giveth eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ and these Old Testament saints believed in the coming of the Lord Jesus, they, uh, it had to be an intimate fellowship for 300 years. I mean, that is, that's really something when you think about it. 300 years, they walked together. And it was so great the, the fellowship was so great that listen to what the Holy Spirit had um, Enoch uh, write in uh, Jude 14 and 16. <clears throat> that the Lord would come to earth with 10,000 of these saints to execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. The more you spend time with a person, the better you get to know that person. You can only imagine how well Enoch came to know God or God the Holy Spirit would have never conveyed to him the future judgment which he prophesied, which was just shared with you. And if we want to grow in the knowledge of Lord Jesus, we need to spend time with him. In the communion of prayer and in meditation of his word. And one of the titles of the Lord Jesus is the word which makes his word spiritual bread from whence it came. Expressed so well in Job 23, 12. Neither have I gone back from thy commandments. For I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food. To grow in the knowledge of Christ, we must feed upon it. The Lord Jesus in his first parable, the sower, the seed, <clears throat> another writer des- describing it, look, listen to this, the, how the writer described it. The word of God is a seed as illustrated in this parable, and in it, the living word lies hidden, the divine life of Christ. In other words, in the word is the, hit, is, the, is the life of Christ hidden. That's what he's saying. That is why the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17, 3, we read the words which, were just, which I just mentioned before. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God of Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, I want you to listen carefully about what I'm going to say, because it's not original with me. To feed... Upon God's word is illustrated so well in Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, we eat earthly food for growth and our body's health. But how do we eat God's word? Andrew Murray gave us the answer. Now, listen carefully. Take a small portion of God's word, some definite command or duty for our life in Christ, and quietly receive it into our will and into our heart. We must yield our whole being to its rule and vow in the power of the Lord Jesus to perform it. Then we must go and do it. That is eating the word of God. This is eating God's word. This same process must take place with the truth or promise. To eat God's word as just described now becomes part of oneself and you carry it with you as part of your life wherever you go. Therein lies a secret for growth in Christ. It gives you spiritual strength and joy. That is why someone has said the first requirement for Bible study is a simple longing to find out what God wants you to do and then with determination to go do it. Why so many professing Christians remain as babes, which was true of many in the church of Corinth. For he says, Paul said to them, I can't speak to you as spiritual, for you're yet carnal, you're yet babes. And in the churches of our day, as I asked you this morning, if you love the Lord, you all probably would say yes. But the proof is found in two verses, John 14, 21 and 23. You do not love the Lord until you do what he says. And therefore, listen to these words. He that, keepeth, he that heareth my words and keepeth it, he it is that loveth me, and my Father shall love him, and I shall love him, and we shall come and manifest ourselves to him. 
And one of the uh, disciples said, why in the world do you reveal yourself to us and not to the world? But notice what he said. He said, if a man loved me, notice, if a man loved me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come into him and make our abode with him. And that's why he doesn't speak to the world because they don't love him. They don't want him. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay. Pardon my age. You do not love the Lord until you do what he says, and therefore you will not grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 7 and 10. That which was gained to me, I count but loss. Yea, I count all things but loss for the knowledge of the, for the excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God which is by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering made, make, being made conformable unto his death. What a great example he gives for you and me to grow in the knowledge of our blessed Lord. Many people in our day professing Christians come to church. They come to pacify their conscience, attracted by the eloquence of a good preacher <clears throat> or the stirring music or activities and programs, but have no intention of doing what the preacher preaches or to do what the Bible says. They do not take sin seriously. Yes, they believe that Christ died for our sins, but there is no hatred for sin, which caused the infinite terrible suffering of the Son of God endured as the Son of Man. Often when people do take time to read the Bible, it's in their homes, it's out of duty and not delight. The only way for Bible reading to be profitable and enjoyable is to be always ready to do what it says. I use the word enjoyable for it describes the benefit of obeying God's word, which I found out even in my old age. Let me give you a testimony. Yes, I had six months of a real trial. But the other night, this week, and what was happening, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your understanding. I wasn't always doing that. Sometimes I grimace because of the pain and because it's an area that is very sensitive. And so finally... One time I just focused my mind on him. Oh, how sweet that is. Just to focus your mind on him. Don't care whether, uh, whether it works out or not. Just focus your mind on him. It's amazing how his presence becomes real to you. It's at times it takes us forever to learn that. By the way, I'm feeling better than I ever did. By God's grace. Just one more thing on this. Well, a few more things. One has not known or understood the Holy Scriptures until their will is surrendered to do what is learned. Let me repeat that. You have not known or understood the Holy Scripture until your will is surrendered to what is learned. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it tells us that God's people are laborers together with God. Then it says, you are God's husbandry. And just as a farmer cares for his field and cultivates the crops, that is what God does in each one of his own spiritually to make them fruitful. Then he says, you are God's building, his dwelling place, Explained so well in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Listen to these words. 
Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord in whom we also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That gives the privilege of friendship and the privilege to be a co-laborer with God. Here's an illustration. Joseph was in prison. Pharaoh called him out of prison and placed him as a co-ruler next to himself. Is that not what God hath done with those he saves? We're all prisoners of Satan. And then to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called out of prison and placed next to himself as co-laborers. Isn't that precious? He works in us and through us. And when we are yielded to his authority and obedience, there's a growth in the knowledge of our blessed Lord. That is why in Luke eleven twenty eight, our Lord speaking said, Blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. How so? They grow more in the knowledge of the Lord and they become more like him. J.I. Packer made a very profound statement when he wrote, When one desires to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, losses and crosses don't matter. What a statement. Then he took Daniel 11.32, and he gave four ways to grow in this knowledge. In the ESV, it says it this way. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. One, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord is to have great energy for God. And by the way, I'm not lacking energy. That's something God has done. He's, in my old age, he's given me a great desire to serve the Lord than ever before. That's so wonderful it is because you're alive. In the contest, this statement, God was being dishonored. But Daniel was a champion, would not flinch regardless of what the enemy threw at him. What is our response to false gospels and all that dishonors our Lord Jesus? What is our response? Are we able to take a stand against the false gospel, against those who dishonor our Lord by rebuking with not the flesh, but with the word of God? Not only energy to defend, but to give the gospel. Secondly, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord is to have great thoughts of him. And I think one of the reasons why we don't hold him in such reverence and, 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 and such uh, esteem is because we have small thoughts of him. We forget he's our creator. We forget he's our redeemer. We forget he's our judge. We forget he holds all things by the word of his power. To have great boldness for God is to grow in the knowledge of him. To have great boldness, I'm sorry. To have great boldness for the Lord is to grow in the knowledge of him, for we will know his presence in greater measures. Uh, Let me, I'm sorry, I'm a little, just let me repeat that again. To have great boldness for the Lord is to grow in the knowledge of him. For we will know his presence in greater measure. And that's exactly what Daniel did. When he was there confronted with eating the king's food that was first offered to idols, he said, no. He said, I will not defile myself, sir. Well, the, the, the eunuch said, well, my life is on the head, on the, on, on, on the, on the block. If, if Just give us vegetables and you'll see what God does. And they were healthier than all the others that ate the uh, king's food. And then you remember what he said when they said, no one may ask a petition of the king other than no one may ask a petition of anyone except the king for 30 days? What did Daniel do? Three times a day, he did what he always did. He knelt for everybody to see him head toward Jerusalem where the Shekinah glory was in the Holy of Holies and prayed. He didn't care what the king's edict was. And then he knew the presence of God when he was in the lion's den. And then how about 
when Peter and John were told to shut up. And what do you think they said? We cannot do, we can, we must obey God rather than man. And then John, uh, Acts 20, 24, it says, I, Paul said, I count not my life dear unto myself, but that I might finish my course with joy and testify of the gospel of grace of God, which he has laid upon my heart. To have great contentment in our God increases our knowledge of him. Why? Because he honors them who honor him. In the New Testament, what does Paul say in 4.11? What does he say? I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He was beat around, but he learned to be, whether he had many or little or much, he learned to be content because Jesus met his need. Verse 76, 6, great godliness brings great contentment. And I can say amen, amen, amen. Godliness brings great contentment. Hebrews 13, 5, why should we worry? Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In the book of Daniel, the three Hebrew lads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing King Nebuchadnezzar's fury because they would not bow down to his idol. You cannot read that passage without observing how calm they were in the presence of the king's reigns. How so they knew their God and his sovereignty and were content whatever the Lord willed for them. They were content in that. And their content was so great that the Lord joined them in the furnace fires. But they said, Nebuchadnezzar, they did call him Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to know that we will not bow down to your idol. We will not serve your idols because God is able to deliver us. And if not, it doesn't matter. These four things will be a a great help if we really want to grow in the knowledge of the Lord great energy to serve him, great thoughts about our Lord Jesus, the great sovereign, the great conqueror, the great emancipator, great boldness for the Lord. Proverbs 8.21, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Oh, praise God. And Acts 4, 18 to 20, uh, they were told to shut up, and they said, well, whether it's right to obey God or to obey you, you decide, but as for us, we're going to speak what we have seen and heard. great contentment in the Lord. He completely satisfies Jesus. Jesus exactly satisfies us sinners. He exactly satisfies us. And Psalm 17, 15, listen to this. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Application. I know you've been patient with this old man but uh, I want to give a little application the question could be asked as we see our country especially young people turning away from God why is the church losing its influence in America today what with 176 million Americans claiming to be Christians why one big reason I believe is because many know about God they have head conversion they have head knowledge but not a heart conversion or heart knowledge a heart Knowledge, with that kind of conversion, a head knowledge will not save anyone. Many in the church want his benefits, but will not surrender to, the, to his majesty or his person, nor his sovereignty. Many in the church are like those of the Lord described in Matthew 15, 8, 9, where he says, My people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And I believe that's true of many in the church. The pandemic, CRT, social justice, false gospel, the influence of LGBTQ, 5% of the people, the Christians holding a biblical world, only 5% holding a biblical worldview, have and is having a great effect upon the church in our day. 2 Timothy 3 and 4 reveals much about Christians in our day. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine and its teaching, but having itching ears, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We do well to heed the charge of the Apostle Paul made in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, when he said, 
examine yourself to see if you're still in the faith or whether you be reprobates. And the first that I began with, make your calling election sure. Christ Jesus became the Son of Man to show us how to live in complete dependence upon God. And in order for this to happen like Jesus in his humanity, one must be lowly in heart, the only key to the true knowledge of the Scriptures. This is the character trait revealed in Christ and what he taught in Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30, which I quoted before. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Come under my yoke. That's the only way we'll learn. So in these verses, we see the first condition of discipleship is humility, the virtue that should be seen in the life of a Christian, the evidence of spiritual life. In order to resist all that the world dangles before eyes that energizes the senses, our lives must be spiritually strengthened. And the only way for that to happen is to know and be grounded and rooted in the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And for what purpose? To be filled with all the fullness of God. This is real evidence of spiritual life. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus makes, oh, this is so, listen carefully. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus makes life worthwhile, for it gives us a purpose for living. In 2 Chronicles 69, my favorite verse, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong to the one whose heart belongs to him. That's my verse. That's my verse. Let it be your verse. In the beginning of our message, we shared the last words of a few saints as they were about to enter into eternity. Why did their words contain such an anticipation of experiencing that which lay ahead and absolute confidence of what they anticipated would be glorious? How? Because they were about to experience that for which they lived their lives. When you live your life that way, then you can say what they said at their deathbed. It was my faith as they grew in grace and grew in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, living and serving him, just as we sang in the hymn, to glorify him. Why should we all not have this incentive? For we were bought with a price. Listen to these words. What, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you were bought with a price. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look at the last words of our text. When we know the Lord in an experiential way, a life that is growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of him, then as our text says, we do so for we love to give Christ the glory as we just sang, serving him to that end. And this is the evidence of spiritual life. Let us so live in 2023. Our Father and our God, may your word as it goes forth eradicate that which is not from you, but that which is from you let it sink in our hearts and change our lives for Jesus' sake, that we might be, in 2023, men who are growing, men and women growing in grace and in the knowledge of our blessed Lord, that we might be to him the praise of your glory. Amen.